Greetings to you all. Thank you so incredibly much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowlers podcast part of your day. Those tunes that you just heard, as always, is courtesy of the amazing Bobby Mackey, and I, of course, am your host, Tessa Morrow. Now, last week, we dipped our toes in the nationwide known curse, known as the 27 Club. The members come from different countries scattered throughout the world. Their music preferences are different. Their passion for certain instruments, well, they vary. We have rappers, blues, everything in between. But what these people have in common is they never live to see the age of 28. Forever 27. Yes, we all die. Some young, too damn young, and others into a nice, elderly, appropriate age. But uh, so many people, so many well-known folks, especially musicians, they die at 27. Cause of death includes suicides, murders, murder suicides, drug overdoses, vehicular accidents, plane crashes, and just so many others. It's insane. Last week alone, we covered 32 deaths, 32 people who did not live past 27. Let's dive right into those brackish waters and dive deeper into the 27 Club curse, as it just gets weirder from here, my friends. Date of death, March 8th, 1988. Amar Singh Chamkila was an Indian singer, musician, and songwriter, man of many talents. People loved him, and they respected the hell out of him. They came far and wide to watch Amar perform on stage. In the 1980s, Amar was extremely popular, but not everybody was a fan. Let's just say that some of the lyrics were explicit and rather vulgar, and he even received several threats from militants who demanded that he stop singing these types of songs immediately. He would not be bullied, and he continued to write and sing songs and perform as well. If they were inappropriate, if they offended you, who cares? Just don't even listen to it then. It's the 8th day of March. Amar and his band, they had just arrived in Punjab, Punjab, ready to perform at a concert. They exit their vehicles when tragedy strikes. In broad daylight, a gang of motorcyclists show up armed with AK-47s and fire several rounds. And the end results, well, they're devastating. Four people are dead. Amar, his pregnant wife, Amarjet, with Baby making it five victims, right, and two other band members. Dead. The culprits behind the massacre? Guess what, you guys? They remain unidentified. I 
hate when that happens. No one has ever been held responsible for these senseless murders. Date of death, June 14, 1989. Pete Freitas was the drummer for Echo and the Bunnymen. He joins the band and replaces their drum machine. He heads off to the United States, temporarily leaving the band and trying to find himself. He starts his own band named the Sex Gods. Now, while in the United States, he spends a good chunk of time in New Orleans, where he spends most of his time drinking. Easy to do down there. Love that place. And there's no shortages of uh, watering holes. Let's just say that. (laughs) He eventually heads back to the United Kingdom where he reunites with Echo and the Bunnymen and they record their fifth and what proves to be his final album. Now, one fateful June day, he is on his way home to Liverpool coming from London when his motorcycle collides with a car. He does not walk away from this accident. Date of death, June 18th, 1989. Finbar Donnelly was total Irish punk. He was part of the band Five Go Down to the Sea. One day, he was swimming in the Serpentine Lake in London's Hyde Park when he accidentally drowns. Date of death, March 16th, 1991. Chris Austin was a country singer. He had an amazing voice, and he actually played guitar and the fiddle for Reba McIntyre's road band. Instead of driving cross-country, Reba and the band, they began to travel in two private planes. All was going splendidly well until one fateful trip. She had the planes ready to go to take the band. Reba and her husband would be flying in the following day. Reba wakes up to a phone call, late at night phone calls. There's something about them, you know, that kind of makes your heart jump. It's like, I'm uneasy. I don't want to answer the phone. Why are you calling so late? Who is this? What's wrong? And my thought, who died? I I don't think Reba could have ever imagined the awful thing that awaited on the other phone line. It's like being stuck in a nightmare. Roger Woolsey, the pilot from the second plane, he is on the other end of the receiver and he comes bearing horrific and heartbreaking news. The other plane, well, it crashed. It's wing colliding right into Ote Mountain in San Diego, leaving no survivors. Among the dead, the band consisting of 27-year-old Chris Austin, Kirk Cabello, Joey Siganero, Paula K. Evans, Jim Hammond, Terry Jackson, Anthony Saputo, Michael Thomas, and the pilot Donald Holmes, and the co-pilot Chris Hollinger. The plane was only 10 miles from the airport. National Transportation Safety Board conducts an investigation into the crash, and this is what the report said. Quote, improper planning slash decision by the pilot. The pilot's failure to maintain proper altitude and clearance over mountainous terrain and the co-pilot's failure to adequately monitor the progress of the flight. Factors related to the accident were 
insufficient terrain information provided by the flight service specialist during the pre-flight briefing after the pilot inquired about a low-altitude departure, darkness, mountainous terrain, both pilots' lack of familiarity with a geographical area, and the co-pilot's lack of familiarity with the aircraft, unquote. She was in complete shock. She was devastated. Who the hell would not be in that situation? Seriously? I mean, you wouldn't have a heart if that were the case. Seriously. Her road band was her second family, I could only imagine. They traveled together. They performed together. They spent time together. They enjoyed each other's company. Yes, they were very much like her second family, indeed. Her 16th album, For My Broken Heart, is a dedication to her Band that she lost that horrible day in 1991. Date of death, July 7th, 1993. Mia Zapata was the lead singer for the punk rock band The Gits. By the time she was nine years old, Mia had learned how to play the piano and the guitar. It's very appropriate to say that she was very passionate about music at a very young age. In 1990, the band goes on a rather successful international tour, and this is super impressive since they did not even have the support of a record label. The band was busy working on releasing their second album, Enter the Conquering Chicken. But before it could be released, tragedy strikes. One early morning in July, Mia, she leaves the Comet Tavern, which is located in Capitol Hill. And while walking alone, she's confronted by a predator. By the time this unwanted encounter ends, Mia will be raped, brutally attacked, including getting bitten, and eventually murdered. Her cause of death? Strangulation. When Mia's body is discovered, at first her identification it was unknown. It is only after the medical examiner, who, get this, was a huge diehard fan of the Gits, she arrives and is heartbroken to see the body of Mia Zapata. The Zapata murder remains unsolved for several years, for about a decade actually. Family, friends, fans, you know, they feel like enough is not being done. They raise money to hire a private investigator. Well, you guys, years goes by with no results until 2002 when DNA is found from the bite marks and they're tested and it comes back with a match to a man named Jesus Mesquia, a man who had a rap sheet a mile long. He was notorious for his violence towards women, which included assault, burglary, abuse, and battery. This is how horrible this individual is. I can't even, you know, uh, every single one of his ex-girlfriends and even his own wife all had filed reports against this monster and his heinous nature. It won't be until 2004 when Jesus is convicted of the brutal rape and murder of Mia Zapata. He is sentenced to 37 years, but unfortunately he does not get to finish that sentence as he died in a Washington hospital January 21st, 2021. 
He was 66 years old. He got to live a hell of a lot longer than the 27-year-old victim. Date of death, circa April 5th, 1994. Kurt Cobain was the front man and founder of Nirvana. When he was only nine years old, his parents, they divorced, and it really affected him. He was really never the same after the divorce. He later on admits that he was ashamed and embarrassed that his parents divorced. I wanted that security, so I resented my parents for quite a few years because of that. On March 1st, Cobain is diagnosed with laryngitis and bronchitis. During this diagnosis, he is in Germany, and he is sent to Rome for proper medical attention that he desperately needed. The following morning, Courtney Love, she wakes up beside her husband to find that he had overdosed on rohypnol. He was knocked out for the entire day. She believes that this was a suicide attempt. One month and three days later, he will be dead. Time is running out for Kurt Cobain. Tick-tock, tick-tock. Fast forward to March 18th. The police, they're called to their Seattle home. Love shares that he had a loaded gun and had locked himself in the bedroom. Pills and guns, well, those are confiscated. Cobain claims that he was not suicidal, but in fact, he just needed space away from his wife, and he locked himself in an attempt to get away from her. Well, five days before his death, or what is believed to be the day of his death, he arrives at the Exodus Recovery Center in Los Angeles, California. While there, he opens up to staff about his drug abuse upon other things. I believe it's his second night there that he decides that he doesn't want to be there anymore. He scales a six-foot fence, hops onto a plane, and goes back home to Seattle. He was seen a couple of times in Seattle, but no one really knows what he was up to these final days of his short life. Love hires a private investigator in hopes that he could find her 27-year-old missing husband. He was hired on April 3rd. On the 8th day of April, he is found dead in his Seattle home. You see, an electrician named Gary, he had an appointment to install a security system in the Cobain household. Gary is the one who actually discovered Kurt's lifeless body. When he first sees Nirvana's front man, he believed that he was sleeping. When he approaches and gets just a little closer, he sees the shotgun near the chin and the large amount of blood, and he immediately calls for help. Coroner's report shares that he had been dead for a few days prior to being found, estimating that he died around April 5th, 1994. Kurt Cobain left a rather interesting suicide note. Quote, To Boda, speaking from the tongue of an experienced simpleton who would rather be an emasculated infantile complainee. This note should be pretty easy to understand. 
all the warnings from the Punk Rock 101 courses over the years, since my first introduction to the, shall we say, ethics involved with independence and embracement of our community has proven to be very true. I haven't felt the excitement of listening to, as well as creating music, along with reading and writing, for too many years now. I feel guilty beyond words about these things. For example, when we're backstage and the lights go out and the manic roar of the crowd begins, it doesn't affect me the way in which it did for Freddie Mercury, who seemed to love relishing the love and adoration from the crowd, which is something I totally admire and envy. The fact is, I can't fool you, any one of you. That simply isn't fair to you or me. The worst crime I can think of would be to rip people off by faking it and pretending as if I'm having 100% fun. Sometimes I feel as if I should have a punch-in-time clock before I walk out on stage. I've tried everything within my power to appreciate it, and I do, God, believe me, I do, but it's not enough. I appreciate the fact that I and we have affected and entertained a lot of people. It must be one of those narcissists who only appreciates things when they're gone. I'm too sensitive. I need to be slightly numb in order to regain the enthusiasm I once had as a child. On our last three tours, I've had a much better appreciation for all the people I've known personally and as fans of our music. But I still can't get over the frustration, the guilt, the empathy I have for everyone. There's good in all of us, and I think I simply love people too much, so much that it makes me feel too fucking sad. The sad, little, sensitive, unappreciated, Pisces Jesus man. Why don't you just enjoy it? I don't know. I have a goddess of a wife who sweats ambition and empathy and a daughter who reminds me too much of what I used to be, full of love and joy, kissing every person she meets because everyone is good and will do her no harm. And that terrifies me to the point to where I can barely function. I can't stand the thought of Francis becoming the miserable, self-destructive death rocker that I've become. I have it good, very good, and I'm grateful. But since the age of seven, I've become hateful towards all humans in general, only because it seems so easy for people to get along that have empathy. Only because I love and feel sorry for people too much, I guess. Thank you all from the pit of my burning, nauseous stomach for your letters and concern during the past years. I'm too much of an erratic, moody baby. I don't have that passion anymore, and so remember, it's better to burn out than to fade away. Peace, love, empathy. Francis and Courtney, I'll be at your altar. Please keep going, Courtney, for Francis, for her life, which will be so much happier without me. I love you. I love you. Unquote. Ah, yep. So days after Kurt Cobain was found deceased in his Seattle home, over 7,000 mourners gather at a nearby park to pay their respects and celebrate the life of a man 
who had gone away far too soon. Date of death, June 16, 1994. Kristen Pfaff was a musician, bassist, and backup vocalist for Janitor Joe. Then she becomes a bassist for Hole, and just weeks before her overdose death, she is reunited with Janitor Joe for a short tour. She was super stoked about this. She could hardly contain her excitement. February 1994, Kristen checks herself into a detox center. Her main goal, you may ask? Well, it was to kick her heroin addiction. Kristen comes back from the Janitor Joe tour feeling like a brand new woman. She's confident. She's clean. She's feeling good. And most importantly, I know I already said it, but I think it deserves to be said again, she was clean. She kicked heroin. She was feeling very down when her dear friend Kurt Cobain passes away. Cobain's death, it affected Kristen dearly. She decides to say goodbye to Hull for good and move back home to Minneapolis, where she can just start fresh. On June 14th, she goes back to Seattle to pick up all of her belongings. June 16th arrives. It's the day that she had planned to leave Seattle for good and start a brand new life in Minneapolis, a place she always adored and where she came from. It was home in her heart. That's where she belonged and she knew that. A friend comes to pick her up and unfortunately finds her body. Next to Kristen's unresponsive body on the floor is a bag of syringes and drugs. Cause of death is acute opiate intoxication. And it's so sad because she really wanted to get clean and for a short while she was. She didn't like who she was when she was under the influence of heroin and it was very important for her to get that toxic drug out of her life. But it seems like at the very end it took her life instead. Date of death. February 1st, 1995. Richie Edwards was part of Manic Street Preachers. Edwards, along with band member Bradfield, were preparing to go to the United States for a huge promotional tour. Even though Manic Street Preachers was doing good, they had fans who adored them, they had this promotional tour coming up, Richie Edwards dealt with major depression. He would be very open actually, about his depression in interviews. He was once quoted saying this, When I cut myself, I feel so much better. All the little things that might have been annoying me suddenly seem so trivial because I'm concentrating on the pain. I'm not a person who can scream and shout. So this is my only outlet. It's all done very logically. He was also known to be dealing with insomnia and would self-medicate himself with large amounts of alcohol. For two weeks before Richie's disappearance, he would take out $200 every day from his bank account. While some think this money was for him to spend while in the United States on tour, others think this was for him to disappear and start a new life with. His last known actions are checking out of his hotel room at 7 a.m. Walking into his hotel room, though, 
it looked like, okay, this person didn't check out. They were planning on coming back. He left important things such as his Prozac, something he deeply depended on daily, his luggage. He then drives to his flat where he leaves his passport, you know, something you kind of need if you're going on a trip from the United Kingdom to the United States. The disappearance of Richie Edwards is extremely mysterious indeed. Many people believe that he drowned in the River Severn. His body it was never recovered. On February 7th, one week after he went missing, a taxi driver claims to have picked up Edwards and driven him around several different locations, including his hometown, Blackwood. He eventually asks to be taken to the Pontypool Railway Station. Two weeks after Richie's disappearance, a fan who somehow had missed the gigantic nationwide headlines of this missing man claims to have seen him at the Newport bus station. And a couple of days later, on the 17th day of February, days after his car is ticketed, it is reported as abandoned. Looking at the car, it is believed that someone was actually living in it. His car was found extremely close to the Severn Bridge, and since he dealt with depression, it was not hard for many people to believe that perhaps he jumped off of the bridge taking his own life. Not everyone thinks it was suicide, though. He was even quoted saying, in terms of the S word, that does not enter my mind, and it never has done in terms of an attempt, because I am stronger than that. I might be a weak person, but I can take pain. Richie Edwards was officially pronounced deceased November 23rd, 2008. Even after they pronounced he was dead, even without having a body, many people have spotted him in several areas scattered across the planet. I believe the most recent one was in India. Randy Walker was a Queens rapper, better known as Stretch. He was one of Tupac's dear friends and collaborator. In the early 90s, Stretch joins Tupac's thug life. On November 30th, 1994, Tupac is shot while in the lobby of a recording studio. Now, he obviously survives this attack, but interesting enough, Stretch himself is murdered one year to the day after Tupac was shot. Tupac was shot November 30th, 1994. Stretch was shot and killed November 30th, 1995. Now, believe it or not, the 1994 shooting of Tupac is what divides Stretch and Tupac. Reasons I could not find. If one of my near and dear friends survived a shooting, I would be there with them every second I possibly could be. What do you need? What can I do for you? Tupac was quoted saying this, Stretch was my closest dog. My closest homie. I did a lot of drama. I got into a lot of cases and shit because of Stretch. Money-wise, he could have had anything. His daughter was my daughter. Whatever she wanted, she could have. Then this shit happened, and he didn't ride for me. He didn't do what your dog is supposed to do when you get shot up. When I was in jail, he never wrote me. He never got at me. His homeboys was coming to see me, and he wasn't coming to see me. And he started hanging around Biggie right after this. Unquote. All of this is obviously extremely public, and Stretch reacts by saying this. 
Pac saying all this shit in the interview like I thought that stretch was going to fight. He was towering over them. Now, that bitch, no, I ain't never going out like no bitch. But I ain't dumb. I ain't got no gun. What the fuck am I supposed to do? I might be towering over bitches, but I ain't towering over no slugs. Unquote. The night of Stretch's murder, he is leaving a recording studio, I believe, and he is making his way to Biggie Small's event. He drops off his brother at home, and then a black car confronts him, chases him down, shoots him up. He is shot at least four times. So if you look up Tupac and Stretch under pressure, that you just heard a tiny chunk of the song right there. But yeah, I mean, they were dear friends and unfortunately just shit happened. Date of death, February 3rd, 1998. Patrick Hawkins, better known as Fat Pat, was a rapper based out of Texas. One fateful day in early February, Fat Pat's shot by an unknown assailant in Houston. He had just visited the house of a promoter and was attempting to collect an appearance fee. The promoter was not home at this time. Fat Pat's murder remains unsolved to this very day. And, eight years after Fat Pat's murder, his brother, also a rapper known as Big Hawk, goes to a friend's house to play dominoes. He is shot to death in Houston as well. And very much like his brother's murder, Big Hawk's murder remains unsolved to this very day. Date of death, March 28, 1999. Freaky Ta was a rapper and a member of a group called the Lost Boys. One March day, he was out celebrating fellow Lost Boys Mr. Cheek's birthday in Queens, New York. He leaves the party and is headed towards the exit when he is fatally shot by a man named Kelvin Jones. He pleads guilty to the murder and is sentenced to 15 years minimum for second degree murder. Kelvin Jones, he becomes eligible for parole in 2014, and he is thankfully denied. He unfortunately will become eligible again this year, you guys, in 2023. Oy! Fingers crossed that he is denied again. Freaky Ta is believed to have been shot in retaliation for another murder. It's a sad case of mistaken identity, as he had nothing to do with this murder that Jones was taking vengeance for. Date of death, June 24th, 2000. Rodrigo Bueno was born in Argentina. His solo music career began in 1990, and up until his death, he releases an album per year, every single year without fail. I mean, that's pretty impressive in my book. Now, Rodrigo just finished a show at La Plata and was traveling in a Ford Explorer with his son, his ex-wife, fellow musician Fernando Almedo, and another person. Now, as they are traveling, their path is abruptly blocked by a white blazer. This 
anger is bueno and a little road rage does take place as he angrily follows the blazer. As he tries to pass this vehicle, he brushes the side of it and loses control and he hits highway barrier. Neither Rodrigo or Fernando were wearing their seatbelts. Rodrigo is pronounced dead at the scene and Fernando, he dies later at the hospital. Over 20,000 mourners come to pay their respects and visit his body, which was brought to Lanus, a place where he was supposed to perform at shortly before his death. Date of death, August 28, 2000. Sean Patrick McCobb was part of Ink and Dagger. They were a hardcore punk band based out of Philadelphia. They are well known for taking it a little too overboard during one concert when the band manages to vomit, yes, throwing up, all over Christmas trees that were scattered about on the stage. Gross. Another show that would be memorable was one Halloween day in New Jersey when Jenny Jams was being carried in a coffin. The show was packed, so we put Jenny in the coffin outside of the show, me and three other dudes. We carried her in, pushing through the crowd. People were like, what the fuck is that? We were all in dagger makeup also. We set the coffin down in front of the crowd Jenny, she gets out wearing a black leather bodysuit and started reciting the oath she wrote in the Drive the Seven, reciting, I'm sorry, more like inciting a riot. She was pushing people and yelling in their faces. I had previously prepared a batch of dagger blood. This was actually the first time it was used. A mix of one bottle of club soda and one red color food dye. We made four bottles of it and perched on each side of the band for when Jenny was done. When she reached the end, Dagger had already been building up feedback and noise and she finished up and they started off with a beginning to changeling, if I remember correctly. Then blam, we covered the crowd with blood and chaos erupted throughout. Needless to say, anyone that was at that show will remember that show forever, including me. Sean would later be found dead in his hotel room. He was drunk and ended up choking to death on his own vomit. Date of death, November 11th, 2003. Jonathan Brandis. Man, I grew up watching that guy on TV. I loved the movie It. I mean, the original It. I loved him. He was great. Later on in life, though, he was quite unhappy with the way his acting career was going. He wanted to revive it and is super excited about being in the movie Heart's War. But he was hit with severe disappointment, and who can blame him, when it was revealed that much of his role was actually taken out. He grew into a major state of depression, and he begins to drink. A lot. He often would share with people that he was depressed and he was planning on killing himself. 
On the 11th day of November, he is found hanging in his apartment. He is taken to the hospital where he dies due to his injuries the very next day. Date of death, April 19th, 2005. Brian Ottoson was the guitarist for a Minneapolis metal band called American Head Charge. He had been sick and was suffering from a severe strep throat and was on penicillin to get over that sickness. Time of death is iffy. He was last seen alive at 4 a.m. He is found unresponsive in the tour bus, lying in the sleeping bunk. Now, he dies in his sleep, and it is believed that this was an accidental overdose. Bassist Chad Hanks says this about that fateful night. Brian, myself, our tech, D-Rock, walked to the bar just before last call, and we were stone-cold sober. We all had two shots of vodka and one beer each. No more, no less. If three drinks is a large amount of alcohol, then apparently my mother is a raging alcoholic. Date of death, November 25th, 2006. Valentin Elizalde, better known as El Gallo de Oro, was a regional Mexican singer. Now, some may consider Valentino's family to be cursed. On November 25th, 2006, Valentino's car is shot up as he is leaving a concert. Valentino, his assistant, and his chauffeur, they're all killed. It's believed the motive behind the murder was one of his many songs, Amis Enemijos. The lyrics are believed to provoke the drug trafficking gang known as Los Zetas. In 2008, his murderer, Los Zetas high-ranking gang member Raul Hernandez Barón, is apprehended. He had served in the Mexican army and was an infantry soldier. His sentence does not last long, and he unfortunately is a free man sometime in 2010. But justice finally comes a-knockin' when he is killed in 2014 during a shootout with the Mexican Federales. Valentin's father, who was also a singer, is killed in a car accident on the dreaded Curva de la Muerte, meaning the Curve of Death, in Sonora. And in 2016, Blanca, his ex-girlfriend and the mother of his child, is murdered, also in Sonora. So sad, that kid, you know. I mean, his mother and father are both murdered? I, I can't even imagine. That's just gut-wrenching. Date of death, December 19th, 2007. Damien Morris was part of the Australian death corps band, The Red Shore. They had not even released their first album, When Tragedy Strikes. The band is traveling via bus for the Christmas Carnage tour when the bus suddenly crashes, veering off of the Pacific Highway. This kills the driver, Andy Milner, and Damien, who was the lead singer. Now, it was actually Damien's wish that if he were sick, or if, God forbid, something happened to him where it's keeping him from performing on stage and using that voice of his, 
or if he parts ways with the band even, that the bassist, Jamie Hope, would sing, replacing Damien, as their voices were quite similar. And that's exactly what happened. Jamie Hope would take over vocals after Damien's untimely sudden death. The lead singer can actually be heard in three songs of the debut album titled Unconsecrated. Those songs are The Garden of Impunity, The Architects of Repulsion, and The Forefront of Failure. And it's amazing. I was actually very curious about it. And I went into iTunes and I looked it up and I played a song that he was in. And then I played a song that Jamie Hope was in. And to me, they sound a hell of a lot like the same voice. So I just want to play one of these songs for you that you will hear Damien, the late Damien. Then I will have you hear Jamie's voice and you be the judge. So that was the forefront of failure. That was the late Damien. And this is Jamie. So, I don't know. To me, it sounds like it could be the same person. That's wild. Date of death, April 20th, 2008. Orish Grinstead and her twin sister, Irish, were both attending Las Vegas Academy of Performing Arts, along with their dear friend, Lamisha. And they would often sing in the lobby of Caesar's Palace. Well, one fateful day, they were doing so while Sinbad was there, and he discovered the young girls, and he knew they had talent. I mean, he saw them, he was impressed, and he goes to the girls' home, where he has a meeting with mom and dad. He tells them about a music convention and competition that is taking place in Atlanta and that the girls just have to go. The parents say yes, but unfortunately they miss the deadline. But Sinbad is Sinbad and he gets connections and he uses his name to get them a spot. Soon Orish and another band member, they are kicked out of the band due to poor vocals and, and you know, they're replaced. I could only imagine the strain that leaves between twin sisters. I mean, that must have been really, really hard. Not too long after being kicked out, she does die from kidney failure. Date of death, March 22nd, 2009. Jade Goody was a formal dentist nurse and a reality TV show who shoots up to fame due to the 2002 Big Brother series. In 2007, her and Bollywood actress Shilpa Shetty, they get into an argument and it leaves Jade looking anything but good. Many scream racism and well over 45,000 people complain about her. Goody travels to India to personally apologize. Well, she soon quits the show after being diagnosed with cervical cancer. I've lived my whole adult life talking about my life. The only difference is that I'm talking about my death now. It's okay. I've lived in front of the cameras and maybe I'll die in front of them. She dies in her sleep and she is surrounded by her beloved family at the time of her death. <laughs> 
She was well-respected and loved, and within minutes of her death, fans came to the gate to leave flowers and other type of memorial things for this young woman. Lily Tembo was a Zambian artist. Her inspiration for loving music came from her father who played the African bongo. One mid-December day, she falls extremely ill. First starts as a minor stomach ache, but then it gets a hell of a lot worse. She ends up suffering from severe gastritis, and she passes away. Lily's sickness was a short one. Her sister patient said this, She had gastritis. She felt sick on Saturday, started vomiting a lot, and developed anemia. And on Monday, around 1900, she died. At the time of her death, Lily was working on her third album and sadly did not get to finish. Date of death, July 23rd, 2011. A month shy of her death, Amy Winehouse was in Brazil, where she had already done five shows. Many noticed that she was very tired, working, somewhat distracted, and she was acting on the tipsy side. It was a very sad sight for her fans, who adored her so very much. Things continue to go downhill for the 27-year-old Winehouse. While in Serbia, she is actually booed right off of the stage. That must have been heartbreaking for her. It seemed that she was way too intoxicated, though, to even perform, and her fans were not having any of it. She couldn't even remember the city she was in, much to the locals' dismay. She also seemed to have trouble remembering the words to her very own songs and names of people in her band. After these nightmare appearances, or their lack of, she begins to cancel future shows, including in Greece and Turkey. And she is just getting started when it comes to canceling her shows. By mid-June, it is revealed that every single one of her future shows have been canceled. Her last public appearance takes place just three days before her death. On July 20th, 2011, when she goes on stage to support her sweet goddaughter, who is singing Mama Said. And I watched the video several times and it was just very sad to watch it was it was a hard pill to swallow she is standing there and she couldn't seem to even move her lips to sing her goddaughter did all the singing and bless her heart she nailed it but you could tell she was worried about amy as i'm sure all the audience was as well much of the time amy kept looking up to the ceiling or to the skies it's chilling and it's quite eerie watching this video, knowing that just a matter of days, in less than a week, three days, mind you, she will be dead. In the days before her death, her bodyguard notices that Amy is quite intoxicated and stated that the day of her death, she seemed in really good spirits. She was drinking and laughing and just listening to some music and watching TV. She was chilling out. She was relaxed. She was happy. He last sees Amy at 2 a.m. Well, at 10 a.m. the following morning, when he goes in to check on her, he sees that she's sleeping. But that would not 
really be out of character for Amy after staying up really late. He tries to awaken her again, but there's no luck. He's not really concerned yet because the last time he saw her, remember, was at 2 a.m. And it's not like she was retiring for that night. She was still awake and having fun. And you could tell that it was well past 2 a.m. So just it made sense that, okay, she just really needs to sleep this off. Well, he checks on her again at 3 p.m. And he cannot help, he cannot help but notice that Amy Winehouse is in the exact same position she was in when he saw her several hours earlier. He checks for a pulse, notices she does not have one. He immediately calls for help. A few minutes before 4 p.m., ambulances arrive at her London home where she is pronounced dead. Three bottles of vodka, they're found in her room, and her blood alcohol level was five times the legal limit. Date of death, August 11th, 2011. Richard Turner was a trumpet player for Friendly Fires. He is in South London swimming in an open air pool when he sadly suffers a cardiac arrest. Lifeguards on the scene do their very, very best to save the young man's life, along with the paramedics, but it's no use and he does die. His band releases the statement. On Friday, we learned of the sudden passing of Richard Turner. Rich played trumpet in our live gigs on and off for three years. He was an utterly exceptional musician, and his contributions to our shows will be hugely missed. He was also an accomplished and admired composer. His best friend Eddie shared this about the young Turner. Richard is a very strong swimmer, and the lifeguards could see something was wrong. They immediately pulled him out of the water and did their very best to save his life. Three ambulances arrived within four minutes and they did everything they could. And his brother shares this about the last time they spent time together. I last saw my brother the Monday before he died. We had just had an amazing weekend swimming in the sea in Dorset. Rich was a really sociable guy and an amazing musician. Everyone was just bold over his talent. His band conducts several benefit shows in memory for their musical brother. But unfortunately, one night while in Chicago, their van is broken into and the benefit donations were stolen. I can only imagine these poor men are mourning the loss of their friend and band member, and they do all these benefits in honor of him, and then it's just taken away. Some thug steals it. That's just so sad to me. State of death, June 19th, 2016. Anton Yelchin was a Russian actor who was in the Star Trek reboot, Star Trek Into the Darkness, and Star Trek Beyond. He was also in the movie Alpha Dog, the true story about a young boy named Nick Markowitz who was brutally murdered. His mother, Susan, is an absolute sweetheart, and I often would send her cards and talk with her on Facebook. He is buried at Hollywood Forever Cemetery, Yelchin is, and he is also the person I have mentioned before in the past where after he died, I went to visit his grave and a woman who was there, and then several years later, the same woman, and it ended up being, I believe, his mother, bless her heart. Now, besides being an actor, 
Anton was a guitarist in the past as he was a part of the punk band The Hammerheads. He falls victim to a freak accident. He did not show up for rehearsal, which was very unlike this young man. His friends went to go to his house to check on him and found him pinned between his Jeep Grand Cherokee and the brick pillar gatepost just right outside of his house in Studio City, California. As was routine, he would hop out of the Jeep, check his gate, maybe fetch his mail for the day. But while he was distracted doing this everyday activity, this routine, he did not realize that his Cherokee had begun to roll down the driveway aimed right for him and ultimately striked him out and trapped him. He did not stand a chance. It's like watching a movie and you're yelling at the screen, move out of the way! This poor young man had so much more to offer, as did all these people that are being mentioned in part one and part two of the 27 Club curse. Cause of death is blunt, traumatic asphyxia. A wrongful death lawsuit against Chrysler was filed by his very much so grieving parents. Chrysler blamed Anton himself saying that he was at fault and was responsible for his own demise, which I think is complete and utter bullshit. But they do eventually settle out of court. Date of death, May 31st, 2016. Thomas Fekidi was the guitarist for Surfer Blood. He was battling a rare aggressive cancer. He had to actually drop out of the tour the band was on due to this heartbreaking diagnosis. He goes through a major surgery to remove a large tumor, but what the doctors discover, well, it's utterly gut-wrenching. The cancer has spread to his spine and lungs. Even as he was dying and in obvious pain, he never stopped with the music. It was his true passion. It was his calling. Sometime between March and June 2015, while healing from two surgeries and starting chemotherapy, I hunched over my track and created this disaster. No multiple takes, no expensive mics, no outside direction, just me and my bedroom with a very cheap bare bones setup. Date of death, December 18th, 2017. Kim Jong-hoyun was a South Korean singer. He checks into a room December 18th. That very day, his sister, who is concerned about him, calls in for a welfare check, saying that she believes that her brother intended to take his own life. She had seen him acting bizarrely and saying things like, this is my last goodbye, etc., Kim had been dealing with depression, and he was very open about it. Oftentimes, talking about it on his radio show, Blue Night, quote, I think it's okay to feel lost in your life. I think it's okay not to reach that final goal. You may earn things while being lost, or can make something out of it through the emotions that you feel. I think it should be your judgment. You don't have to make someone else judge the satisfaction of your life. I hope you don't feel too anxious about feeling lost in your life. Unquote. 
A dear friend of Kim's shared that she had tried to help him with his depression, but sadly was only able to delay his passing and not prevent it. He writes a suicide note to his sister saying, It's been hard. Please send me off. Tell everyone I've had a really hard time. This is my last goodbye. He commits suicide by breathing in toxic fumes from coal briquettes that were burning in a frying pan. Many people come to pay their respects and mourn Kim during his three-day funeral. Date of death, January 19, 2018. Frito Santana was a rapper. In March of 2017, Santana is hospitalized due to having a seizure. In May, after he continues to have seizures, he is diagnosed with idiopathic epilepsy. He was on medication to prevent these seizures, but unfortunately they did not help and he continued to have them. And not just a couple here and there, but he has several of them. In October 2017, a friend of Santana's, a fellow rapper, finds him in the house on the ground and is bleeding profusely from his mouth. He is diagnosed with kidney and liver failure. It's believed these seizures were triggered due to his addiction to Xanax. Now, while in the hospital, the diagnosis, it's an eye-opener for this young man, and he begins to show major interest in seeking help, like going to rehab. But rehab will not help Frito Santana. Unfortunately, in less than half a year, no, scratch that. In less than a quarter of a year, the 27-year-old man will be dead. It is now January 2018, and he is discovered in an unresponsive state in his Los Angeles home by his girlfriend. Sadly, he suffered from a fatal seizure. Date of death, July 1st, 2019. Tyler Skaggs was a starting pitcher for Major League Baseball. He played for the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Los Angeles Angels. He was in Texas as a L.A. Angel, where they were to play ball against the Texas Rangers. He is found in his hotel room, unresponsive. The night before his death, he texts Eric K., asking him for some painkillers. His wife texts him, wishing him a good night, as she always would when he was away, and he never replies back to her. This is very unlike Tyler. While investigating the room, they find pills everywhere and this white powder substance on the floor. Autopsy findings, accidental death of asphyxia after choking on his own vomit. He was also under the influence of oxycodone, fentanyl, and alcohol. His blood alcohol level was 0.12. The DEA determined that fentanyl was the primary contributor to his untimely death and that he would most likely have survived this if it weren't for the fentanyl. Eric Kay was the Angel's former director of communications. He is indicted on charges when he admits to providing the opiates to several of the players, including the now-dead Tyler Skaggs. Upon hearing about his death, the four-game series between the LA Angels and the Texas Rangers is postponed. 
A few years before his death, in 2013, Tyler had come clean about his addiction to his family, which I could imagine was not an easy thing to do. He then immediately, after the confession, he quits taking Percocet cold turkey. And it's clear he wanted to help and was trying to desperately get it and better himself. Date of death, July 12th, 2020. Benjamin Keough was Elvis and Priscilla's grandson and Lisa Marie's son. He was at his girlfriend's birthday. He went into her room and locks the door behind himself and he proceeds to shoot himself. She uses a bobby pin to get into the room and finds him dead in the connecting bathroom. Now, before his successful suicide, he had tried taking his life half a year earlier. He unfortunately had been dealing with severe depression and was abusing drugs for quite some time. Lisa Marie was beyond devastated, as any parent would be, can't imagine. And she is quoted saying this, Please wait for me, my love, and hold my hand while I stay to continue to protect and raise your little sisters and to be here for Riley. I know you would want that. Happy birthday, my sweet, sweet boy. You are much too good for this world. I hope that with Lisa Marie's passing, that her and her son, who she missed so terribly much, are now reunited, and they are now buried together at Graceland. Date of death, August 29th, 2022. Yo Ju Un was a South Korean actress, and last year she sadly commits suicide. A letter is found apologizing to her family and friends, and she insists that she led a happy life, but felt that she was not worthy of the happiness that she had, like it was not deserved by her for some reason. We can be our toughest critics, and this one claimed her life because of it. Quote, I am sorry for leaving first. I am especially sorry for to my mom, dad, grandma, and opa. My heart screams that I don't want to live. Life without me may be empty, but please live on bravely. I will keep watch of everything. Don't cry. You'll be hurt. I'm not sad at all in the slightest right now. I feel resolute and calm. I think it's because I have thought of this for a long time. I've lived such a happy life. That was more than one I deserved. That's why it is enough for me. This is enough. So please live without placing blame on anyone. I'm not dead. So everyone, please live well. I hope many people are called to my funeral and I want to see everyone for the first time in a while and check in on anyone who is having a hard time. I wanted to act so badly. Perhaps it was my call and it was a part of me. However, living that life was not easy. I don't want to do anything else. That was so hopeless. Having something you want to do is a blessing. But I realized that only wanting to do that thing is a curse. God loves me, so he won't send me to hell. He will understand my feelings and care for me going forward. That's why. Everyone, don't worry. And to all my loving family and friends and my loves, thank you so much for treasuring me and loving me. That was my strength and my smile. I lived with unforgettable memories until the very end. So I think I've lived a successful life. 
Thank you for understanding and embracing me, who is lacking and impatient. I'm sorry I can't express it well, but you'll still understand how I feel, right? And to all those precious relationships I've made, especially the teachers, I was so grateful and I respected you all. Thank you so much for teaching me the many things in life. Mom, Dad, I love you. Don't cry. Please. Now, in a tragic incident, a 27-year-old Russian rapper took his own life to avoid being drafted to fight in the Russia-Ukraine war. Date of death, September 30th, 2022. Ivan Vitalevich Petunin was a Russian rapper, better known as Waki. He often participated in rap battles. Fans that would tune in to watch his Telegram channel notices that he's beginning to act different. He's acting bizarre. He's just not acting himself. His family notice it too and have him committed to a psychiatric hospital where he stays for six weeks. And during that time, he is diagnosed with being schizophrenic and manic syndrome. Once Walkie is released from the psychiatric hospital, things get worse for the 27-year-old man. He cannot take it anymore, and he jumps from a third-floor window. This is not fatal, though. However, he does break his spine, and he ends up right back in that hospital. To add insult to injury, his wife leaves him shortly after this event. Several months into the Russian invasion onto Ukraine, enter the 2022 Russian mobilization. Waki releases a video on his Telegram channel sharing that he refuses to kill another man. And due to the Russian invasion on Ukraine and mobilization, he will be committing suicide. And I found the video, and it is in Russian. However, thankfully, it was translated, and this is what he said. I cannot commit the sin of murder and don't want to. I am not prepared to kill for any kind of ideals. To murder someone, whether in war or otherwise, is something I cannot do. I have no right to carry a gun and shoot at people. It seems to me that partial mobilization will become full in a few days. I have two arms, two legs, and an index finger to pull the trigger. They will give me some gun. I have no right to pull the trigger. I am not ready to take the responsibility to carry a weapon and kill people. Forgive me, my loved ones, but sometimes you have to die for your principles. And anyway, my last... My last decision is how exactly I die, whether it is killed by people who we attacked and stay in history as someone who supported what's happening, or expressing this final protest. We have all become captives of maniac who gives us the choice of either gel or the army, or the choice that I made. Now, while he survives the third floor jump, he is successful when he jumps off the 11th floor. Date of death, February 2nd, 2023, and one of our most current 27 Club members, but certainly not to be the last, Young Trappa. He's been rapping since age 11. Things are good until 2015 when he is arrested for drug possession and distribution. He is sentenced to five years and seven months, and he is released in February of 2021. He releases an album, but does not stay straight, and by November the same year, he's in hot water with the law once again. And this time it's not drugs, but he graduates to a much more serious offense, sexual assault. 
that of two 18-year-old girls. He is released on January 10th of 2023. He is not allowed to leave the country. Less than a month after his release, he will be dead. I am not completely sure exactly how he died. Either it was cardiac arrest or a drug overdose. Not too sure. He was found deceased at his home. According to his lawyer, he fell asleep and never woke up. Now, during the 27 Club episodes, suicide was discussed a lot. Many people took their lives if you or someone you know is struggling from depression, have suicidal thoughts or tendencies, please let somebody know you are not alone and there are other ways to cope, other ways that are not so permanent. Please confide in somebody that you trust or call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. This week's special city shoutouts go to Stokesdale, North Carolina. Brewster, New York, Albuquerque, New Mexico, McAllen, Texas, and Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. It's super appreciated, you guys. Thank you so much for making me part of your day. Please be sure to stop by next week for the newest episode. See you next week, my friends.